Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. As we kick off a new month, joining us here for the CIO Strategy Snapshot, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Jason, welcome back. Great to be with you as always and looking forward to the conversation. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good to be here. So, Jason, to set the stage, maybe we can provide some context here for our listeners as the month of April, it has closed. It was a bad month for equities. There's not really any other way to put it. Uh, the S&P 500 was down 8.8%, and the Nasdaq was down 13.4%. And investor sentiment at the moment, it, it seems to have turned very bearish. So from your vantage point, Jason, what exactly is driving this concern amongst investors? Well, it really all ultimately comes down to the concern investors have about the, the growth outlook, you know, for slowing U.S. growth, the potential for a recession, you know, if not so much for 2022, but like by 2023. And really what's driving that is the concerns about, you know, high inflation, how much it may moderate, will it, whether it will moderate. And the fact that the Fed is so focused on bringing inflation down has turned very hawkish, uh, is tightening out they're trying lower inflation. That's what the fueling doubts about, you know, can the Fed actually achieve this? Can they get inflation down to an acceptable level while also sort of soft landing the economy, avoiding a recession? History tells us their track record is not great on that. I mean, it's not, you know, zero percent chance, but it's not, uh, you know, high probability. I think that's all fueling you know, investor concerns. And then whenever you get news like we got last week on some of the earnings data from some of the big you know, companies like Amazon, you know, talking about you know, the little bit lower sales or falling short of expectations, Apple guiding lower because supply constraints suggest the second quarter could be impacted. All that adds fuel to the fire. But sentiments are already kind of, you know, you know, very cautious, if not outright bearish. And you get data points like that. This kind of you know, fuel the concerns about where we're headed from here. I think that's really what's driving equities lower for the month of April. So, Jason, running with inflation a bit further, you described inflation as the central character in the market narrative at the moment. Now, within the latest UBS house view, that title positioning for inflation available now on UBS.com forward slash CIO for our listeners and clients within. It does explain how inflation is likely to fall from current levels, though remain above pre-pandemic ranges. So how and will will we get to that point, Jason? So I don't think it's a bold call to say that inflation is going to moderate from the levels it's currently at. You know, the March CPI was 8.5%. Just looking at gas prices in the country on a national average, you know, for, for March versus April, they're lower in April a little bit. That would alone sort of bring inflation down. But there's other factors that are really kind of, you know, will help to kind of bring inflation down, at least from those current levels. You know, there's been a lot of pandemic-related price distortions, and those are starting to fade. Those exist more in sort of goods than they are in services. And so if you look at goods price uh, inflation, it actually fell in March 0.6%. That's, that's the lowest, uh, you know, kind of rise, or like, you know, the most negative number since February of 2001, so in over a year. Uh, you know, we saw a core CPI rise in March at 0.3%. It's the lowest pace since September. Uh, things like used cars prices are down 4% for March, and they're down every month this year. And you've seen other sort of, you know, electronic goods prices coming down. So you've seen that sort of, you know, will bring inflation down. It's starting now for the April CPI, which we'll get next week. We get the benefit of base effects. So inflation surged in the second quarter of last year because it also fell in the second quarter of 2020. So, you know, inflation is always based on the price level today versus the price level of a year ago. The price level a year ago jumped up. And now we get the benefit of sort of a higher base, and it makes the year-over-year comparisons a little bit easier. 
So it's, you know, not necessarily inflation trend slowing, but just the math kind of works out that, you know, we're just not rising as quickly. And, you know, energy is an example that as we move further in the year, energy prices will be higher. So the year over year effect becomes smaller. I mean, other factors include the supply issues that have you know, been easing a little less so recently, but they're trending in the right direction overall. And then the big driver for, for inflation is wage growth. There it's still elevated, but it stops sort of accelerating. So you know, the, the inflation for wages or wage growth was most rapid in the third quarter of last year. The past two quarters, it's kind of come down. It's not increasing. So it's at elevated level, but it looks like to be sort of, you know, plateauing. Now, there are certainly risks that inflation could stay higher. We're starting to see service inflation accelerate, which kind of reflects the broad-based nature of inflation now with high wages. You know, labor market is very tight, so there is a risk that instead of just plateauing, we can get a bit of a wage price spiral. Now, I think there's we're probably underestimating the potential for more workers to come back to the labor force now that the pandemic is certainly sort of receding both in practice, but also sort of just in how people are approaching life. So last year, there was a lack of labor supply that surprised people. This year, there could be definitely a scope for a little more upside surprise, which would actually help kind of wages moderate a little bit. Um, but and another factor where at least there's a risk for higher you know, inflation is commodity prices, especially oil. They could keep going higher. So you net it all out. I think, you know, we feel reasonably confident that inflation is going to trend lower, um, you know, but it could be a relatively modest trend lower. The key question then is like, how much does it trend lower and what's the direction as we get towards year end? Because that's going to influence what the Fed is doing. We think it's going to go in the right direction, you know, but that's kind of the key uncertainty still that remains in the marketplace. So, Jason, you just made mention of the Fed, the Fed serving as the other leading actor in the market dynamic at the moment. And we're set to hear from the Fed on Wednesday following what will be a key policy meeting uh, kicking off tomorrow, Tuesday. So, Jason, can you remind us of what we can expect to hear from the Fed? Well, in some ways, this should be a relatively uneventful Fed meeting. You know, the you know the market is pricing for a 50 basis point rate hike. The Fed has indicated that's what they're going to do. So it'd almost be shocking if they didn't do it. So that's you know we'll get that. Uh, it's very likely that they will announce the start of quantitative tightening, where they let the balance sheet start to shrink by having bonds sort of roll off as they mature. They'll announce it with beginning probably by early June, maybe late May, some time frame. And since we already got with the minutes for the March meeting, sort of the cap size of how much they're going to let run off in terms of both treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, we already sort of know the details of what that's going to be. So what we should get on Wednesday is just official confirmation that this is going to now begin within a month or so. So that, you know, shouldn't become as a surprise. Uh, there will be no sort of dot plot change. There's no update to their summer of economic predictions in terms of growth and inflation and the policy rate. So no data we can look at to see how are things changing which really means that where there's a scope for potential surprises or sort of new news will come from Jay Powell um, in, in the press conference. So, you know, if there's anything that he would imply, like how the data is evolving, that's consistent with the Fed forecast or it's worse than expected, that might be him trying to signal that they need to remain even more hawkish or get more hawkish than they've already been. Um, at the same time, if it's sort of in line with their expectations, that will give some signal to the market that perhaps like, they, they feel comfortable with the trajectory. You know, the market can almost price out some of the rate hikes. Um, he may tip his hat or hand towards, uh, you know, the odds of doing a 75 basis point rate hike or the number of 50 basis point rate hikes beyond uh, in May. So there might be some indication there. Uh, and there also might be some indication, and I'm sure he'll be asked, what do they plan to do with MBS? Will they want to sell it to further raise mortgage rates to help cool the housing market? I think he'll probably try to avoid that answer. But if he, again, kind of gives any signal there, that could be something that could cause some you know, market response. But I think that the bias is probably towards being sort of more uneventful versus eventful compared to at least the last couple of Fed meetings.
Right. Well, those press conferences always have the potential to be very market moving. So we'll keep a close eye on that on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Moving along this morning, Jason, I know investors are also concerned about uh, the prospects for a recession. Now, within the House View update, it is mentioned how the chief investment office does not see a recession likely over the next 12 months. So, Jason, can you walk our listeners through what considerations, conditions support that view? Well, let's just start with the actual data that we're getting right now. Uh, the Q1 GDP number at minus 1.4% clearly surprised the people on the downside. All that was driven by the fact that net exports was uh, minus 3% because we're essentially importing so much because the economy is actually pretty good strength right now and good consumption is high. If you just kind of strip that out and look at the underlying details, you're seeing private consumption is still growing nearly 3%. This is real after inflation. Uh, and if you look at month over month from January, February, March, it actually kind of trends a little bit higher as we move throughout the quarter. So, again, so suggesting the consumers hold it up fairly well despite inflation. Uh, in- investment was quite solid. So the details suggest still good strength. In addition, you're, there's a clear trend towards, at least at the margin, people buying more services and less goods. So services spending was around you know, plus 4%. Good spending on a real basis is actually slightly negative. So this is actually positive because there was such a massive demand for goods over the past two years that this is just sort of normalization that people have bought all the stuff they would want. And now instead they're they're buying services, they're going out to travel, things like that. So this is actually a normalization that's ultimately good. It's disinflationary. Uh, So I think that the the details there are all, before we can see, positive. You know, the labor market is very strong. We're getting solid investment spending. And the plans, the CapEx plans for companies, at least in the S&P 100, remain quite healthy and solid are actually getting better. Balance sheets are in good strength. So you add it all up, given how much sort of the Fed has raised rates already tightened policy, which is still relatively modest thus far, the risk of recession in the next 12 months is, is pretty low. And so everything that we're seeing from the data is consistent with what we call sort of our default hypothesis is that growth is, is fine, should be even be above trend for the rest of this year after a weak Q1, and inflation should moderate. The real question now on the recession ultimately comes down to like, what is the Fed going to do? How far is it willing to raise rates to try and bring inflation down towards the 2% target? Um, you know, even if it's not intentionally going to go too restrictive, we don't know where restrictive policy really kind of kicks in. Do we run the risk of things slowing in the Fed, even running the risk of things slowing more than they think? So I think, you know, what we know is the Fed wants to bring inflation lower. It also doesn't necessarily want to induce a recession if it doesn't have to. So it wants to get to sort of a neutral policy fairly quickly, you know, certainly by the fourth quarter. I think there's a decent chance at that point in time it sort of takes its foot off or eases off a little bit on the brake to try and cool the economy, see how things are doing. It knows policy acts with a lag. So the tightening that we're seeing right now in financial conditions, that's going to have an impact on growth later this year, next year. And that's going to start to infect inflation later on. So I think it, it's decent chance that it's, you know, it's going to try and ease off a little bit later this year, maybe more than the market is expecting right now. If inflation stays high, if it's still at a level that it deems to be uncomfortably high, like around 4% rather than, say, 3%, it could get more aggressive at some point next year. So I think the risk of recession starts to rise as we move later into 2023 or 2024. But given how the Fed is going to attempt to sort of thread the needle, I think we're, we're pretty confident in the next 12 months the recession risk, barring some sort of shock, is pretty low. But the further you go out, you know, I think the chances rise just because it all depends on what the Fed does, and there's a greater chance it gets either more aggressive or makes a mistake. 
Well, thank you, Jason, for outlining the clarity behind that thinking. And uh, circling back for a few moments just on market behavior, I know we mentioned at the top of the conversation how investor sentiment uh, seems to have turned very bearish. And you you think about the sell-off we experienced this past Friday, volatility across markets does remain elevated, does remain present uh, beyond inflation and the Fed, which you just covered for us, Jason. What other contributing factors are there to this volatility? Well, I think you know, we, we can't sort of you know, overemphasize enough maybe how sentiment is very poor. It seems like a majority of investors, like at least institutional investors, think a recession will happen. That's almost sort of becoming a sort of a done deal in their minds. As a result, you know, the liquidity is poor because people don't want to come in and, and sort of buy, you know, even though the S&P is down, you know, 13% for the year. We've already seen like hedge funds and some other sort of fast money investors de-risk. But now what it looks like is sort of some along only investors are choosing to like reduce positions and equity exposure. So no one yet wants to kind of come in and, and sort of buy. There are people I think are waiting sort of for a capitulation level. And we never know exactly what that level is. You sort of know it once you kind of hit it and start to, starts to reverse. But, you know, we haven't sort of got to that level yet. Uh, it may not be that far away, but I think that's sort of you know, creating sort of some volatility because people just don't want to come in and buy. Uh, you factor in, you know, concerns that we haven't talked about yet outside of the U.S., uh, you know, both with China and uh, the Ukraine war. China continues to struggle to contain, you know, COVID. Uh, you know, there's even further restrictions announced for Beijing this weekend. So that's certainly, uh, you know, creating some anxiety. We're starting to see, and we saw with the earnings report last week, of how this could impact, uh, you know, supply chains, you know, sales for some companies in the second quarter. The good news on that is, you know, we know from history, the you know, COVID waves, they don't go on forever. They last maybe two to three months and you get tighter restrictions and then they ease off. And we've already seen that in parts of China, that sort of that rotation. And there's also been sort of announcement of policy stimulus measures. So the China, China could go from being a headwind currently to something that could become more of a tailwind as we move later into this quarter into the summer. And then the other factor is, you know, with, with the, uh, you know, the Ukraine war, in particular, the flow of Russian oil and gas to Europe. A lot of news last week of, uh, potentially, you know, stopping supply to certain countries like Poland and Bulgaria, but also in the rest of the, you know, the Eurozone deciding, like, maybe we need to kind of curtail our purchases whatsoever, and Russia could retaliate by cutting off supply. So there's this that risk of as things escalate in Europe, that would even tip Europe, the European economy to recession, which certainly would drag down overall kind of global growth. So you add up sort of these negative headline stories, these things that weigh on growth, coupled with poor sentiment, you can see why it's sort of volatility uh, and markets are sort of very choppy right now. So, Jason, maybe we can begin to close out the conversation, spend a few moments on positioning. So from an investor's standpoint, instead of positioning for a recession, again, the CIO is not expecting a recession over the next 12 months. How are you recommending that investors instead position for inflation? So you're right. So, like, you know, we don't think a recession is, is likely over the next 12 months, but inflation is likely to still be you know, well above the Fed's target. And even looking to the beyond the next 12 months, you know, the, the trends for inflation suggest it's going to be above the pre-pandemic level, um, given sort of the, you know, the labor market dynamics, given sort of demand for commodities, you know, other factors such as deglobalization, things of that sort. And perhaps the Fed's even willingness to allow inflation to stay a little bit higher than it did before to avoid tipping the economy to recession. So given that scenario versus where we don't feel a recession is likely this year, but beyond that, that's a possibility. I think where we have more confidence in saying you should be sort of tilting your portfolio away to be prepared for this inflation environment persisting sort of longer than it, than it has been. Uh, you know, if you think about like what's will do well in that environment, things that have sort of done well this year that they should continue to do well. So, you know, commodities, you know, all sequel that would tend to sort of be a relative outperformer in this environment. And even as a geopolitical hedge for high oil prices, 
things like value stocks we think tend to do better in this environment because they benefit from high inflation, high nominal GDP growth, and the possibility of, of higher rates. So it, it's not like in a, you know, I don't really call where value stocks would absolutely go up, um, but it's also kind of a bit of a view that kind of growth stocks will kind of lag. So it's, a, it's more tilting the portfolio towards kind of value versus growth. And we've seen growth, uh, you know, perform you know, poorly you know, this year. It's had many years of good performance. I think you're starting to see investors, and I know our clients that I talk to are finally not just capitulating, at least kind of realize that they have to move outside of, you know, the, the playbook that worked very well for the past decade. Now, given how much the Nasdaq pulled back in just in April of like 13%, there is a possibility in the very short term you can get some sort of bounce, some sort of news could change it. But I think on a you know, medium to longer term horizon, I think the, the macro environment is shaping up that value stocks all sequel are probably better positioned, at least some value stocks and growth stocks going forward. Um, and that includes things like energy. If you're looking outside the U.S., you know, two markets that we actually upgraded last week to most preferred status are U.K. and Australia, as they tend to have various sort of, sort of strong value biases with high allocations and weightings to financials and to commodities and things like that. Um, Overall, though, also on the on the fixed income side, we did move neutral on U.S. government uh, bonds. The idea is that given how much rates have moved, that the outlook from here is more balanced in terms of rates going higher, but also potentially lower if there are growth concerns. Um, so it's it's more of a you know, pivot that we've making gradually throughout this year on the fixed income space, where we were sort of short duration and we're getting to the less short duration. We liked taking credit risk over duration risk, and now we've sort of reduced some of our credit exposure, for example, taking down senior loans to neutral, putting that more into kind of government, so even shorter kind of government to kind of balance that off. So the idea is, you know, kind of get less short duration, not necessarily outright long, um, kind of up in credit quality, given sort of where we are in the, in the cycle. So all of this, again, is sort of consistent with an environment where inflation, you know, could persist. Um, recession risk is, is probably more priced in the market than we think is is valid, which is why we still see upside for equities by year end. And the macro environment that plays out as we think there's still upside, but you want to be positioned in a way that across different scenarios, which could be you know are hard to predict, which one will materialize, then you know do the ones that are sort of will benefit most. And we think in this in the case kind of value stocks, commodities, those are the ones that are going to be a little bit more positioned to benefit across different scenarios. Uh, and the final thing I would just emphasize is that. You know, while we have our own forecasts for the outlook, there's a lot of ways in which things could evolve, including based on political decisions that, you know, that just become almost like an either or situation. So to find a time the market is trying to make capital as is very difficult, which is why maintaining sort of a long-term plan, making sure you kind of stick to it, rebalance towards it, you know, and then also building up sort of a liquidity buffer, you know, is critical to kind of allow you to kind of ride through these periods of volatility is rather than try to be too cute, too tactile to try to make the timing calls. So that, that's the final point. I got, that's probably the most critical thing as well. Jason, thank you very much for reinforcing those points and for the broader guidance on asset allocation. It will be an interesting next couple of weeks. You pointed out, of course, inflation data next week, though. We have the Fed beginning tomorrow. We will hear from the Fed on Wednesday. We have the employment report coming up for April and still making our way through the Q1 reporting season. So a lot at play here, which can, of course, move markets. Uh, but we'll follow up on these points. So, Jason, thank you again for the guidance this morning and productive conversation to kick off the week. You're welcome, Ben, and have a good week. It's sure to be another eventful one.
Absolutely. Well, likewise, Jason. Thank you. And again, today we've been joined by Jason Trejo, the head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset allocation. These resources can, of course, be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO. The May UBS House View Investments strategy guide. Uh, That title is Positioning for Inflation. So for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more about today's topics or if you would like to receive a copy of that publication directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.